Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast, standing on the top of the Tobin Bridge, ready to fling myself to the ground below. I am Michael Graham. Actually, this is our first post-election podcast here at weeklystandard.com. With us, the editor of the Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal. Bill, what the bleep happened? Uh, I gather that Barack Obama got more votes than Mitt Romney, both nationally and in key states. And I guess that happens in a democracy you win the election. A uh, little bit of a surprise. Um, maybe a little more of a surprise to you. You were more confident than I was. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought Romney would pull it out and... He just fell about two points short, both nationally and obviously in Virginia, Ohio, and Florida. So um, the electorate was more open to being uh, convinced that they should give Barack Obama four more years, less open to perhaps Romney's message or to Romney as the messenger than, than we expected. Uh, there are a couple of numbers that jump <clears throat> out at me, but I have to say the one that I think may be most profound is that if Mitt Romney had simply gotten as many votes as John McCain did four years ago, he would be president-elect Mitt Romney. President Obama lost 10 million votes, and yet the Republicans still were not able to beat him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that'll quite hold up when all the vote comes in from the, you know, the still some vote out in the West, but I agree. It's striking. I mean, here's another way of thinking of it. McCain, not a great candidate, um, obviously a controversial VP pick, financial crisis, two unpopular wars, eight years of Bush, all of that. Uh, he runs a race against token change Barack Obama four years later, a much less um, exciting Barack Obama runs, and Romney picks up two states, two out of 50 states plus the District of Columbia. So he picks up only the two that Obama won by, I think, 30,000 votes or less in, in 2008, North Carolina and Indiana. So for all the talk about, you know, uh, how much, uh, how different the world was in 2012 for what happened, for all that happened in between, this is what strikes me the most, and I guess worries me the most, really. Tea Party, 2009, 2010, for all of that, it turned out that the 2008 election, you know, you just uh, just chopped two points off Obama showing there, three, four points maybe. And that's where we ended up in 2012, which is worrisome. For those of us who thought 2008 was an outlier, you got to worry. Is 2008 more like a predictor of the future? Uh, one of the questions is, did the Democrats do an amazing job of turning out their vote? The last uh, exit polls I saw, Bill, showed Democrats had a five or six point advantage. It was like 39 to 33 Republicans. Right. Uh, or is it the case, as some of us feared, not to name any names, <clears throat> anyone but Mitt, <clears throat> that Mitt Romney's just a natural vote repeller, that he's a hard person to vote for? Um, I mean, probably some of both. I, I think, as you said, let's see what the very final vote is. But they did turn out their votes, but it's also the case that they've got to have been Republican votes, conservative votes, uh, anti-Obama votes, um, free market national strength, pro-military, socially conservative votes that were left on the table. I do wonder, and I was critical of it throughout, so I, I mean, I, I'm not going to, uh, I don't know, I can't prove I was right, but I, I do believe the one-dimensional campaign they ran was, was just too one-dimensional. It's fine to say the economy is the main issue. It's fine to say that's like get distracted by some of the social issues and some of the foreign policy crises and scandals, but to simply over and over, 22 million Americans underemployed, so many Americans on food stamp, it's just it, you're making your whole election campaign for the president of the United States rest on a verdict on his mismanagement of the economy, which people were open to, and people never really ended up endorsing, I would say, his management of the economy. But it was complex enough, and the Bush legacy was 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 hanging over uh, voters enough, and Romney's own lack of definition of what he was really going to do to help get the economy going probably 
did some damage and some of the attacks on Romney did some damage. All of that meant the pure one-dimensional economic message wasn't enough. Uh, and yet uh, uh, the argument is that the one-dimensional uh, campaign by President Obama was enough. That is, go negative, go negative early, stay negative throughout, ra- irradiate your opponent, and simply make uh, the other option not an option, and you get to go back to office even with basically 8% unemployment and no plans for the future. No, that's true, but it wasn't, I mean, it was a negative campaign, but it wasn't one-dimensionally negative, if I can put it this way. I mean, <laughs> it, he had something to say. If you were a voter who was unhappy with the economy but really cared about abortion rights, he had something to say to you. Right. If you were a Hispanic who was also unhappy about the economy but thought the Republicans were too harsh on immigration, he had something to say to you. A lot of it was disingenuous. People like us found a lot of it offensive, even, mm-hmm. and really kind of bad for democracy, the Julia off, the degree to which right. he wanted to make people think they were dependent on government, the demagoguing of the, the immigration issue when he did nothing about it in his first two years. You could the, the claims that uh, Romney and Ryan would be warmongers. It was all repellent in certain ways, but it wasn't stupid, I guess. Right. And it, but it, but he did give voters different reasons to vote for him. I think that was that was intelligent to them. Unfortunately, no, I absolutely agree with that. But all of the reasons were negations. None of them were affirmations. And uh, that's uh, very disconcerting. So wither the Republican Party. Is the Republican Party in the desert a la post-Nixon? Or is this uh, uh, just a a candidate at the right moment with some weak people to run against him? Let's face it, nobody ever described Mitt Romney as a great candidate during the primary process, etc. Which one is it? I think obviously some of both, and these things do turn around faster than people think. You know, Democrats were in despair in '88 after Dukakis, mm-hmm. and they won in '92. Republicans were in despair after Nixon, as you say, and won in '80 with Reagan. So these things can turn around faster. I'd say two things. I think it's a little bigger, though. I, I'm on the on the spectrum of it was just Romney's a bad candidate, and some tactical mm-hmm. mistakes were made, and the hurricane hit at the wrong time. Versus, we've got a big problem. I'm a little more on the we've got a big problem side. Uh, we've uh, Republicans have, have have lost the popular vote in five of six presidential elections since the Cold War. I, I think you've got to wonder about the party's uh, appeal to the electorate that as it exists today. I'm not saying you should change your principles at all, but you just right. got to think about that as a practical political matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that worries me. And also, it wasn't just Romney. I mean, the Senate has gotten more Democratic. The House has gotten slightly more Democratic, it looks like. Um, you know, uh, some of the, again, some of that was just having bad candidates in a year where people want to change. Republicans ran a ton of uh, people who had been in Washington as challenge people as challengers who had been in Washington longer than the people they were challenging. So you run a, a five-term congressman against a younger senator, and guess what? The voters don't think they're voting for change, and they didn't vote for Berg or Reberg in Montana and North Dakota. They didn't vote for Tommy Thompson in Wisconsin. They didn't vote for George Allen in Virginia. They didn't vote for Connie Mack Jr. in Florida. I mean, I, I, in retrospect, not even in retrospect, it was evidence a month ago these were not the strongest candidates you could have run. Having said that, I mean, they were the candidates the party, nom- party nominated in the different states, and it probably says something about the party. And I do think that the fact that you lose the presidency, you lose Senate seats, you lose House seats, you got to have a little more fundamental reconsideration of what you're saying, how you're saying it, and um, what voters you can attract. One last uh, uh, subject, and that is here in New England. I do a talk radio show that tilts to the right in New England. So I'm a very lonely guy day in and day out, Bill Crystal. <laughs> but this is 
watching what happened in New Hampshire, where a state that had flipped two years ago to almost entirely Republican, abandoned every Republican, throw, even Frank Ginta, a kind of moderate local mayor who got elected to Congress, uh, all gone. I thought the deal was, if we have a party that's you know, utterly offensive to New England that guarantees that we're going to win Virginia, Colorado, you know, places like that. Clearly, that doesn't work. Uh, if the party's not going to even be competitive north of Richmond, Virginia, can it be a presidential party? No, I think not. That's what we've learned. And it turns out that, you know, what's competitive in, in New England isn't that different from what's competitive in, in a Virginia or Florida mm-hmm. or in Ohio. So I, I think. I come, you know, I would say there is hope. The the younger conservative reformers remain the the the, the way to go. I think, and whether it's Ryan or Rubio or Ayotta Martinez or Jindal or Scott Walker, there's a, there are a lot of impressive younger people in the party. Some new people were elected, uh, who I think will be good too. But um, but I do think there needs to be some thinking about the message and about uh, persuading people. Of, you know, the kind of country Americans Republicans want to shape. Not just, you know, gee, we're going off the cliff with the deficit. We've got to do something about it. But you know, what are we going to do and how is it going to help middle class people? And and uh, that requires some reassurance, but also some boldness. It's a tough thing to do. And again, right after the election, there'll be a ton of people with different, uh, a lot of interesting and intelligent analyses of what went wrong. And that always has to sort of takes a while to sort itself out. There'll be a certain amount of circular firing squad. <laughs> firing which is okay you know it's 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 actually healthy often to ventilate some of these issues uh i think we'll end up pretty in a place different than what we expect actually six months from now in terms of where the conservative movement is and where the party is in 2008 no one if we were having this conversation the day after 2000 after the election in 08 i don't think we would have predicted the tea party and and all of that so things things will go in, in different and unpredictable directions which will be a healthy thing i think actually, for the conservative movement and the Republican Party. I think the most important thing now is to have an honest and open debate on among conservatives and Republicans. There's no reason to, for anyone to pull their punches or be loyal to nominees or not say what they think. And some of this, we all disagree about, with each other about some things, but that will be healthier than a kind of, let's just unite behind John Bader and get into <laughs> a sort of fighting position and, and pretend uh, yesterday didn't happen. I think that that, will be a mis- that would be a mistake. Okay, well, I've got a bridge spot waiting for me, Bill, so I've got to run. Thank you so much yeah. for joining us here the day after the election for your analysis here on the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm Michael Graham. Visit theweeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates.